0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. org. So for Christmas, I got Micah, my wife, one of one of those twenty three and Me DNA kits. Um, and the idea is that you spit in this cup, and then you send the cup in, and then they they some computer. I don't think it's just like scientists up there, but I think uh, up up wherever that is. Um, but the idea is that you get your DNA extracted from the spit and then the DNA tells, uh, we get this report about who she is, who who her ancestors were, what her DNA looks like, um, what countries her DNA is from, et cetera, et cetera. And, and millions and millions of people all across the country, maybe the world, um, have been doing these kits. There's one that Ancestry.com has, it's like the same thing. Um, and that one even links into their family tree kind of kit uh, online. And so you can see how far your lineage goes back on that web portal. My question is, why? Right, like, and I get it. It's kind of fun to see and be able to say, like, oh, I'm 5% French or something. Um, right? It's kind of fun to, to see what, what all those things are. But um, I think part of the allure of this is that we find out more about who we are, right? You find out, uh, we're hopeful that maybe we're from, in the past, some cooler places than just this, than, than Texas, maybe. Um, places like Ireland or Africa or India, right? Exotic places. And I think uh, some of us also hope that we would see that family tree and that maybe there's a president in, in our lineage, or maybe there's some great leader, or businessman, or king, or or whoever. There we can we can see that we're actually I'm related to somebody who is really really important. But but others in the room are less hopeful, maybe, right? Maybe, like maybe some of you know your genealogy, and you don't have to go back very far. Um, you don't want much more of your story. Right, maybe you know, maybe one, two, three generations back, the story is adultery, addiction, abuse. Right, regardless of our own family trees, humans have historically been interested in where we come from. That's why this is part of God's Word, a genealogy. They help us in figuring out who we are. They give us meaning, and ultimately one of two things will happen. We'll either hope that we live up to the name of our past, or we hope that we overcome the failures of our past. The Bible is full of genealogies from the Old Testament, and now we have a genealogy here in the New Testament linking Jesus to all these people. So you should know that 23andMe or Ancestry.com, they're not, it, these services aren't tapping into some new phenomenon Humans have always thought it's important to know who our parents were and who our parents' parents were. There's a few interesting things about this specific genealogy that I think are intentional. There's a reason this is here, and we should want to get to the bottom of it a little bit. First, it's its placement. It's at the end of chapter 3. And I would think genealogy would be a good place to start when introducing a story or a character, but that's not what Luke does. Why? So we're going to look into that. Second, it's specific. Remember, if you were here last week, we talked about a theme in Luke being um, Luke is concerned that we know that the story of Jesus isn't just um, the history of the Bible, right? It's the history of uh, of God and humanity. It's the history of all of all of everything. So Jesus is the climax of the history of all things. Luke is concerned that we know that, and he's. One of the ways that flushes out is that he um, he's concerned with very, very specific detail. So we see that here, that this is very, very detailed all the way back to the original. And that, that brings us to the third point, that uh, there's important information here that Jesus is linked to a specific person and ultimately a specific event. So, before we get too deep in that genealogy, let's see what, uh, what is happening at this baptism of Jesus and, this, um, and the events that kind of unfold right after he's baptized, which tells us a lot about what's going on here. So, let's read that, um, uh, I believe, starting in 21. It says this, Now, when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus, um, in line with the baptism we were talking about last week, Jesus gets baptized. And then we see the scene, Jesus pray, is praying, uh, assumably audibly, he's praying out loud to God the Father. And the heavens, the sky rifts open. And the Holy Spirit in physical form, like a dove, Descends on Jesus. And then this voice booms from heaven, which is the Father, and says, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So, the whole uh, one, one thing I want us to get here is that the whole Trinity is at work, right? The Father is being prayed to by the Son. The, the Spirit is descending in bodily form on the Son, Jesus. And, and then the Father speaks to the Son, right? He, he speaks. What ha- what's happening is that uh, Jesus is being confirmed and commissioned for this earthly ministry. So, things are beginning is, what, is what's happening. Right? His earthly mission will primarily to be, be to proclaim himself and what he is here to do. So, he's going to tell people who he is, son of God, and what he has come to do, which is live a perfect le- life and eventually die and resurrect So that is what he is here to do. He is the one that John the Baptist calls the more powerful one is coming. He is the one from the prophecies that were foretold of old. He is the one that at his birth, the host of heaven, sings glory to God in the highest. And now here at his baptism, before Jesus begins his earthly mission of proclaiming himself, the Father proclaims him for him. This is my son. Like, this is, this is cosmically important, right? Like, the Father only speaks to Jesus one more time in the Gospels, audibly, and it's at an event called the Transfiguration, which we'll get to. It's where Jesus appears not just in His earthly form, but in His glorified heavenly form, and the Father speaks, and they hear it. And that's a preparatory event for the crucifixion and the resurrection, the finishing of his mission. But this is a preparatory speaking of the Father for his earthly mission leading up to that. So, when the voice of God, the Father speaks. We should listen to what, what he says, right? So, let's, let's rewind for a second because all this happens after the baptism, right? But if you were here last week, we talked about that, what was that baptism, that John's baptism is not like the one we participate in as Christians. It's a different one. It's a baptism of repentance, of turning away from sin, and also preparation for, for the Messiah, for the Savior, for God's kingdom to come. It's a preparatory baptism. So why does Jesus need to participate in that, right? Because uh, I think one of the most important beliefs of, of the church, of Christians, is that Jesus is perfect. So why would he participate in a in a baptism of repentance well two reasons quickly first he's obedient to the father right he he is obedient so through john the baptist god is calling god the father is calling israel to repentance and jesus is obedient to that call In another account uh, from the gospel, according to Matthew, it says that Jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, meaning in keeping with obedience and perfection, Jesus is baptized. And second, even though he's not necessarily needing to repent of any personal sins that he's committed because there are none, he is repentant. He's repentant on behalf of the people of Israel, And, and ultimately he'll be repentant on behalf of all people. So, therefore, his baptism here is him repenting on our behalf. And so, knowing that about the baptism of Jesus, knowing that he was baptized, uh, immediately after this, we see that he is commissioned for his mission. His kingdom is coming to earth. That's why the heavens are open. There There is no distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God on earth now. Jesus is Lord come to reign. He is king come to reign. And that will be accomplished through his salvation method of crucifixion and resurrection. So, the kingdom has come. And then, in light of all that truth, the kingdom has come. Jesus is commissioned for the mission to bring the kingdom to bear on earth. Um, He gets an endorsement from God the Father verbally, right? This is my son. The Holy Spirit affirms that this is my son. He is ready to begin his mission. So this is what his baptism and commissioning accomplished. This is what this, is, this means. It shows, his, um, it shows his obedience, right? The baptism shows his obedience, which we should emulate. We should emulate Jesus' obedience to the Father, it also shows his repentance, which we should emulate, right? We should be turning from sin and towards Jesus. And finally, this, this beautiful, cosmically important commissioning prepares him for this mission. Just like when we place our faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit is delivered to us, we are prepared for mission. We're, we're, we're told to participate in the spreading of the good news, the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done. So, for us, obedience, repentance, and mission is easy to say but hard to do, right? Like, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we have a really hard time being obedient and a really hard time being repentant and a really hard time being missional, I'm not saying we don't we don't always fail in these things but we I think we if we're honest if I'm honest I have a really hard time doing all of these things every day. I can't be fully upright. We can't we can't be fully upright. We can't resist temptation. We aren't always obedient to the father. We aren't always obedient to the mission of God. And that's why I think that it's important that this genealogy is here now. Right? So let's relook at the genealogy. Uh, I'm not going to read it. But um, Luke works backwards from Jesus, which makes it easy for us, and goes all the way back, past King David, past Father Abraham, and lands us all the way at Adam, the Adam, the first man Adam from the Garden of Eden. So Adam is this first human. He's created by God directly from the dust of the earth. God breathes into his lungs and he dwells, Adam dwells with God daily in the garden. And then God creates Eve, peak of creation, right? The first woman, greatest creation. And after, he, after God creates man and woman, what does he say? In Genesis 131, God says this, or or the text says this and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good so God seeing Adam and Eve says this it is very good God is pleased with what he has done God is pleased with Adam he is pleased with Eve It's similar to what he says to Jesus, right? This is my son in whom I am pleased. So God is pleased with Adam and Eve, right? He, this is very good. And he's pleased with all of creation, but they signify the peak of his creation. They're they're made in his image, the scripture tells us, made in the image of God. This is very good. But if you're familiar with this story, you know where it goes and how it ends, right? The serpent lies to them. In Genesis 3, he says, if you eat this tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God and you will know good and evil. You will be like God. So Adam and Eve are tempted, and they succumb to that temptation, they fall is what we say. They they become aware of their sinfulness, they become aware of their nakedness. Shame settles into their hearts. Fear of God settles into their hearts. This is a, an event known as the fall of humanity. But I know those I know that Ancestry.com kit, that twenty three me kit, it can go back pretty far. But does it go back this far? Probably not, but the reality for everyone in this room, including myself, is that this is where our tree goes. I'm not sure of how your, your line of lineage, your branches all line up, but I can assure you that past the presidents and kings that you might have in your tree, you go back far enough, you'll get to Adam. And maybe you don't have to go, like I kind of said before, maybe you don't have to go back very far to taste the fallenness of Adam. Maybe you only go back one generation to your parents to see the brokenness of humans. And there's all sorts of unique scenarios to see the brokenness in our family trees, but, but the reality is we all go back to one, Adam. One father. Our heritage, our genetics, our DNA, the thumbprint of who we are is wrapped up in the fall. Sinfulness, rebellion, failure to trust God's word. Like Adam, we doubt the word of God. Like Adam, we seek our own autonomy. We seek to be masters of our own lives. Like Adam, we see our past failures. We see our past areas of sinfulness, and we experience shame and fear. We hide the truth from others or ourselves. Like Adam, we're fallen. And like Adam, we need a better genealogy. We need a better family tree. And some of you all feel that this morning because you know your parents, you know your parents' parents. But the reality is you're not alone. Everybody in this room, we need a better family tree. And it's no coincidence that in chapter four, right after this genealogy ends, we have a story similar to Adam's called the temptation of Jesus. Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. We'll talk more about that next week. But the reality is this. Unlike Adam, Jesus does the extraordinary. He resists the temptation of Satan, the same tempter of Adam. Jesus is obedient in his baptism. He's obedient in his life and his crucifixion and ultimately his death. He's righteous in living, and he's successful in resisting temptation that we are unsuccessful in resisting. We, with Adam as our, fa- our father, we cannot resist temptation. Our heritage is broken. Our DNA is sin. Our father, Adam, is the fallen son of God. Therefore, we are fallen sons and daughters. But when our Savior is Jesus, he is the perfect righteous son of God, which is affirmed here. And only in him and through him Can we become restored sons and daughters of God? This is the gospel. This is what we mean when we say born again. Let's look at at John chapter 3 starting in verse 2. This man, his name is Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers him, And says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, confused, says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, no, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then Jesus says, you must be born again. So this is what Christians say when, when we're labeled or we label ourselves as born-again Christians. But, but the beautiful reality of this is, is when we take the full of this gospel message uh, for what it is, we know that in Adam we're born of our flesh, right, like Jesus is talking about. But in Jesus, we're born of the Spirit, For us, our genealogy might end with Adam, right? The tree might end with Adam, but for Jesus, it doesn't end there, not even in Scripture. It ends with these words, son of God. And that is the family we're adopted into. That is the lineage that you and I who believe are given. That's our lineage, our tree, our family tree changes from fallen to free, to freedom. When the father looks on Jesus, he says, this is my son who I am well pleased. In him, I am well pleased. And when you put your faith into Jesus in a way that saves that pleasure is applied to you. Colossians 1 says this, we share in the inheritance because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you're in Christ, in the room, if you believe in Jesus, God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Your lineage is son of God. You can just X out the rest of the tree. Son and daughter of God. So as we wrap up, what does this mean for us this week? Well, first it, it means that we can live um, as if this is true. Right? We can live as if we are born again. We can live as if our lineage has changed. We're no longer linked to Adam and the fall. Our DNA of shame and failure is no more. So, what does it look like to live as if we are born again? Well, one, we're obedient to the Father. We read the Word of God and we apply it to ourselves. Primarily, we love God and we love each other. So, we're obedient. And two, we resist temptation but not not by our own power, by the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which we who believe have. It means that we can actually say no to the things that our flesh desires. Do you believe that? Like our old DNA, it's written on us, desires things that we can now say no to. We can walk in light like we've been delivered. Because we have. And next, I think what this means for us is that we can actually join the Son in the mission. Just like Jesus had a mission to proclaim himself and fulfill his his purpose, we have a mission to proclaim him. To preach Christ. It means we show people what it means to follow Jesus. And we don't just show them, we tell them what it means to follow Jesus. We tell them who he is and what he's done. We don't hoard the knowledge. We share it. That's why the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, has spread to billions of people. We invite the nations of the earth, the tongues of and the tribes, and all branches of a broken family tree, we invite them to trade their old lineage for a new one. We invite them to trade the bloodline of failure and death for the bloodline of the resurrected Savior, Son of God. And finally, um, what this means for us ultimately, it means that we can rest. It means that we can enter the true rest of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What do I mean? I mean we can, we can stop the charade. We can stop the, the search. We can stop trying to fill the hole with whatever comes next. We can stop working to be saved. We can stop doing things so that God will be pleased with us. It means for those of us in, our, in the room who believe in Jesus, you can't be any more loved than you are right now. Amen? You can't be any more loved than you are right now if you're in him. Nothing else you can do will make you more loved than, by him than right now. The God of the universe looks at you He knows the depths of your heart. He knows what you thought, what you think, what you've done. And he says, I am pleased. Has that that truth soaked into your being? It hasn't mine because I don't live like it. But I, I want it to. Has it it permeated who you are? And some of you, some of us are like, yeah, that's true. I believe that God is pleased with me when I read my Bible for five consecutive days. Or when I say no to that thing I really wanted to do, I said no last night. Like, God is pleased with me. And others of you are like, after this weekend... I don't believe that he's pleased with me. Or after last night. Or when I pick up the Bible on Monday, he'll be pleased with me. There are good things that we do because of who we are in Jesus, don't get me wrong. But until we believe that our lineage has changed, from fallen to free, until we believe that our lineage is not to Adam, but to God, son and daughter of God, until we believe that, then you won't change. But to enter his rest in part means that we believe this is true for us. God sees you. He knows you. He knows your lineage. He knows everything you've done, everything you will do. And in Jesus, by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he knows all those things and says this Well done. In you, I'm pleased. Let's pray. (sighs) <sighs> Father, would that be true for me? Because I know, I believe that you say that about me. I know and I believe that you say that about the believers in this room. I know that you, that you believe and fully know all of them, and yet you still say, I am pleased in you. So, Lord, we believe that that's true. Would I live like I believe that's true? I don't know um, what anybody in this room is, is particularly struggling with this morning. I don't know those things, but. Um, Would you assure your church, individual by individual, that you are pleased with them? Would that cause us to overflow with gratitude, overflow with worship, overflow with love, for you, for your word, for your people, for your church. We confess that we've been grumblers, that when things aren't perfect, we we grumble. But Lord, I think if we really if I really grasp the the belief, the truth that you are pleased with me. Would I complain? No. So help this knowledge settle into my heart. Help it settle into the heart of our church that you are pleased with us, that we see what Jesus has done on our behalf and we accept it and we stop doubting it and we walk obedient faithful lives, not free of sin or stumbling, but full of confidence in who we are, assured in your grace, assured in your love, assured in our station as co-heirs, inheritors with the Son of your kingdom. Pray all this, Lord, in, in your name. We love you. Amen.